Well, this morning, are you ready for the Word of God? I really hope you're ready. Uh, The Lord's been stirring in my heart all week, and uh, we are going to continue today in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to recognize, not that uh, you haven't noticed this, but we've slowed down in this section on spiritual gifts where Paul addresses what he calls the most important thing. And what have we been talking about the last several weeks? Love. All right, you get an A. All right. And uh, the text that we're examining has been said to be the greatest description of love that's ever been written. Of course, Paul wrote that, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it kind of begs the question, what is love? Everyone say that with me. What is love? Well, if you ask someone in your spheres of influence, maybe this week you could uh, consider that as an assignment, and if you went around and asked people at your work and uh, your neighbors or maybe students at school or teachers, you say, what is love? There would be an attempt uh, to be able to identify what love is. And my guess is that it would be full of definitions that were perhaps full of personal opinion or personal history, or personal struggles, or maybe someone would think of some success stories in their lives around the idea of love. But what happens so many times is we will look to movies in the culture, or music, or to books or magazines, and the, the reality is that this morning we are not here to talk about what the world would describe as love. We are here to look to our standard, God's Word, and to find some insight that can change us from the inside out. That's why we're here. The greatest thing about Scripture is that it's not vague, it's not meaningless. Instead, it's very clear, it's concrete, it's applicable, and how many know the Word of God is powerful? Powerful to transform us. And I don't care what kind of uh, week you've had, what kind of year you've had, what kind of life you've had, (laughs) this morning, God's Word, as we talk about love, I believe that God wants to get a hold of our hearts, and He wants to begin a supernatural work in many of our lives. Because what we're about to hear is some weighty material. Jesus said, I love you, to His followers, to His disciples, and then He said, to love one another. And how did he show that? He showed that by washing the feet of his disciples, by laying down his life. He said there's no greater love than this than when a a friend lays down his life for a brother. And we've been identifying that it's agape love. And even Ben this morning in in, uh, worship identified the agape. It's a self-sacrificing love, giving itself in obedience to the will of God. And when we look at verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and then the first part of verse 8, We see truth here. It's not ideological. It's not just a good idea or one way that we can kind of uh, take love. It's not some philosophical jargon or it's not abstract. What we've learned is, number one, that love can only be described, and this is somewhat review, as by observing it in action, right? We've said that love is a verb. The 15 terms that we're studying, they're all verbs, The second thing we've said is that love is not a feeling or an attitude. It's active. It's not a, you know, I feel like loving. No, it's a choice. It's something that's done in action. And uh, as I was praying and asking the Lord in regards to this particular uh, truth, 
Um, I, was, I was thinking about marriages. That sometimes in marriages, and we can all acknowledge this if you've been married more than a week, right? I don't think there's any honeymooners here. That marriage is tough. And sometimes we don't feel like it. But, God, but love, agape love, it's that self-sacrificing love. It's bigger than a feeling or attitude. And then the third thing we've said is that love is always related to someone else, right? It's not about you. It's something that we do for others. And I really, I ran across an idea uh, by one commentator this week. Uh, that he described love like a diamond. And a diamond that's cut at many different angles and different ways, and then the light hits it, and the light is diffracted, and it's beautiful. And, there's, and agape love is like that, that there's angles and there's layers. And it, but it's all rooted in the, the quality of the diamond, right? In the quality, the standard is Jesus Christ. He's our standard. He's our perfect example. And so what we've been saying over these last couple weeks, and we will be for probably at least another week, is we've been encouraging each other to evaluate our lives, evaluate our actions against God's Word, to say, okay, I'm going to take this checklist, these 15 descriptions of love, and put myself to the test. And what the reality is, is that each of us will struggle differently. Last week, uh, when I, we talked about some things, or the week before, th- there may have been some things that were really close to your heart. And today, as we talk, there may be something that kind of pricks your heart. And I want to challenge you. I've realized something this week, that as these descriptions speak to you and to your heart, you want to slow down and address those things. Don't just keep on mulling over those. James 1.19 says to be quick to listen. And I'll have to be honest, this morning, this week, I had to slow down in my own life and let one of these descriptions and uh, the, it really mature in my heart. In fact, there was a point I was sharing with another couple this week that I felt like, man, how can I even share these things because I still struggle in one of the areas we're going to identify today and saying, Lord, help me. It's your grace that will help me get through. And how many know we don't have to be perfect, right? <laughs> Uh, God wants us to be pursuing perfection, but we're, we're all in this journey together. So I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to read from God's Word, and uh, we've, we've, been, we've been looking at the same uh, set of terms here, kind of taking one by one. And I want you to stand. We want to honor God's Word, give you a chance to get the blood flowing again, uh, and uh, get your minds nice and sharp. And uh, as we look at this, uh, we see, again, 15 terms here, and let's look at these. It first says in uh, chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Love is patient. Pause for a second. That's patient with people. Long-suffering, right? It says love is kind. The idea there was the root word is useful, that we are useful to one another. Love does not envy. That is not jealous, Right? It's a wanting something that someone else has, or even worse, wishing that they didn't have it. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not inflated. It's not full of hot air. It's not being a braggart. It is not proud that are being puffed up. We said last week when we looked at this that a truly humble person can never be humiliated. And I know many of you have thought about that and, and trying to get your mind around that, but I think there's a lot of truth in it. And we also said love is not rude. Rude says, I will do whatever I want regardless of the effect of the other person. And again, this is a checklist. 
And so far as we've looked at these, that's kind of where we've got so far. Um, the, the, the challenge for me, or the, the feedback or the response in my own heart is, Lord, I need more love. That's the reality. And my guess is there's many of us here saying, I need more love. How many would just acknowledge that by just give me a nod or a shake or a hand, heads up or a amen or something? I don't know. But love is, is uh, so important. Let's continue to read. It says, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be students of your word. We want to get your word into our hearts and into our lives. And more than just head knowledge, we want it to move to, into action. Lord, that we would be able to walk in your ways. Lord, help us to discern. Help us to walk in your ways and, and with confidence. And God, help us to learn this morning, uh, even with some weighty material here. God, give us uh, open hearts to receive from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. The first description we want to tackle says that love is not self-seeking. Love is never selfish. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It does not pursue selfish aims. Gordon Fee, a commentator I've been using, said this, in some ways, this is the fullest expression of what Christian love is all about. The fullest expression. It does not seek its own. It's not enamored with self-gain or self-justification or self-worth. Instead, simply, love would seek the good of one's neighbor or even their enemy. And like the previous descriptions of love, we've seen that in each of these so far, the Corinthian leaders struggled in this area. They were not courteous to one another. And in the context here, it probably speaks to the intrusion of tongues or prophecy at inappropriate moments within the church context. In fact, in the context as a whole, we see that, that those Corinthian leaders really struggled. We've already seen that. They insisted on their own way about idol feasts and about idol worship and food sacrifice to idols. We see that in chapter 10, verses 24 and 33. They also would rush ahead to the Lord's Supper and even meet in different parts of a building, in different rooms, and they, they were discriminating those who were less fortunate in chapter 11, verses 21 and 22. They were, in, they were interrupting speakers with supposed instant revelations during worship in chapter 14, verse 29 and 33, and we'll get there. And, we, and they were imposing unintelligible tongues into a sequence of worship when the utterance was not being translated. So they were, they were, they were speaking out in tongues, but no one was translating. It was chaos in those moments. And as we look at that, we understand that the Corinthian leaders, they were full of themselves. They were selfish. They were using spiritual gifts for themselves to build themselves up. And Paul is saying, look, love never dwells on itself. And we see a huge difference here between agape love and what we've, uh, we've talked about at the beginning of this section, 
of eros love, which is more of a brotherly love or a, a, a worldly love. Uh, eros love, we see the difference is that it seeks its own interest. It's driven by ego. In agape worship and agape social uh, relations, they are contaminated and distorted by eros or self. And eros was seen and can be can be seen by monopolizing a conversation or a congregation or any situation where self is promoted. It can be seen through tone. It can be seen in style. It can be seen in vocabulary, in all these ways. But agape is about giving up one's right for the good of the others around and being uh, and having in a uh, considerate manner uh, during worship or really any time. Being considerate of others, thinking of others first. The word I want you to focus on for a moment here is selflessness. And that's really what God is calling us to as believers. That's really a picture of what Jesus is. He is, was selfless. That's what we're after. And it really catch, captures the essence of agape. Uh, Lenski, another commentator I've been using, says this. He says, the cure, to cure selfishness, he says, to, if you were able to do that, uh, you would have, I'm sorry, he says, cure selfishness, and you have just replanted the Garden of Eden. If you could cure selfish, selfishness. See, selfish, selflessness is seen when you're patient with others, when you're kind with people, when you're not jealous or not angry or you don't get upset or you're not provoked or you are tolerant or you're generous or you're gracious, you're never rude. Everything about biblical love is selfless. And church, this is a huge deal in our society. This is a huge deal for me, your pastor. Um, I've described myself at different times, especially when we first got married, and I've shared this story many, many times, um, that when I got married, I was probably the most selfish person that I knew at that time. I'd never lived with anyone else. I lived in the basement of my house, and uh, uh, when I got you know, irritated, I'd just go in, in the dungeon and, uh, you know, I'd be fine, you know, and I'd reemerge and, uh, you know, after, you know, I, I, you know, took care of my needs, right, or whatever, and the reality is that self in my life, it can sneak into my time, the way I spend my time, or the way I spend my money, uh, when I get angry, you ask, okay, why would I get angry? Well, it's self, and we'll see that in just a minute, or when I get irritated, or when I sin, Self is at the core of all of that. You look at the Ten Commandments and you say, okay, here's you know, something we're supposed to live by. Really, stealing, coveting, adultery, any sin is rooted in selfishness. But God calls us to be different than the world, doesn't he? And he helps us to be able to accomplish that. And Lord, help us this morning to identify the areas where we have allowed self to be promoted above others and maybe even above our relationship with the Lord. The second one we want to acknowledge is love is not easily angered. And it's interesting. You know, it's not easily provoked. It's, it doesn't get upset. doesn't get irritated. doesn't blow up. It's, it doesn't have these sudden outbursts of rage. And it's, what's interesting about it, it's on the heels of selfishness because it's really a mindset. 
that if you are easily angered, you are selfish. If you get irritated because you want it the way that you want it and you're mad about it, why is that? It's self. If, you, if your rights get violated and anger slips in, what's at the root of that? It's self. Now, the best example for the Corinthian church was really in chapter 6. As we studied that, uh, there were uh, different people in the church. They were offended with their brothers. And uh, next thing you know, they're at the courts, at the public courts, suing one another, defending their rights, being defensive, totally full of themselves. The Corinthians allowed anger to get the best of them. As I studied this, I realized that if you are angry, it's not the circumstances around you. It's not the circumstances' fault. It is selfishness at the core. And I want you to track with me and try to follow with me. Jesus and Paul, uh, those are great examples. They should have been angry. Jesus, of course, was beaten and bruised. He was spit on. He was crucified. He did all of that without sinning and never allowed anger to get the best of him. Well, you say, okay, that's Jesus. He's perfect, right? Hard to live up to. Well, what about Paul? He, he was a man who was never, that never retaliated. You say, why didn't Paul retaliate? You can read through Scripture. Well, the reason is he never saw himself as having any rights. The only time he got angry was when things angered God, and there was a righteous anger, and we'll talk about that in a minute. He never cursed when he was being stoned. He, was never, he never lambasted anybody when he was in jail. He took 39 lashes on his back. Why did he do this? He never saw anybody violating his rights because he never considered himself to have any rights. His duty was to love, to explain or to show love. So Jesus and Paul, here two, two examples, they learned a principle that in your anger, if anger uh, creeps up, which it will, we should not sin in our anger. Now, the, it's interesting that it doesn't say that love is never angry. That's not what the Bible says. It says love is not easily angered, right? So it talks maybe like a fuse. It has a long fuse. But when you have a short fuse, or when you let anger get the best of you, I, I want to just challenge you that you need to deal with it, or it will grow, it will multiply in your heart, and it can take over everything in your life. See, remember, it's powered by selfishness. And because of that, you cannot give the devil a foothold in this area. If anger goes unresolved, it only gets worse. It's doing push-ups in the corner, so to speak. And then all of a sudden, it'll reemerge. It'll be stronger, and it'll be out of control. Listen, if you get angry, God can help you. Jesus can help you through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he wants to do that. And I know that there, there are some here that struggle with their temper, or they get snippy with their kids, or they raise their voice at home, or start throwing things, Right? And, uh, and we're, my family is not uh, immune to that either. 
In fact, I got in my notes here, you know, you get to the point you're so angry, you hit the wall in your basement. How many have heard me tell that story? I'm not going to tell it again. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember Jessica saying, when I did, I put a hole in our wall in our basement. Jessica says, you need help. And she said, get some help. And that was the best thing that could have happened in my life. This is three or four years ago, and I'm thankful for that. I ran across something from 1976, the year I was born. John MacArthur, uh, a commentator that I, uh, that I often look to, actually was speaking on this. And, and I want to read something, and I want, it's pretty strong. And so I, I figure, well, it's him saying it, not me. So, um, so I want you to listen to this, all right? Listen to what it says, all right? It says, next time that you get upset at home and you get mad, remember this. The reason you're angry is because you don't love the person that you're angry at. Bad English. I never, never stop, uh, finish a sentence with at, but that's <laughs> besides the point. With whom you're angry. Because when you got angry, you said what you shouldn't have said, and you wounded them. And the reason you wounded them is because you wanted to wound them. Now, I want to just pause here for a second. Let that sit in. Is that true? And you know what? You decided, I want it my way, and I want it the way I want it, and if I don't do it the way I want it, I'm going to hurt you. You see, you say things that will, won't ever be forgotten. They leave scars. You do things that hurt and injure. How many can relate to that at some level? I know that I've seen that in my life. He goes on to say later, he says, anger is the opposite of love because anger says, I matter so much. If you do something that I don't like, I'm going to let you have it. And it's not easy to handle this, but I tell you, he says, unless a Christian learns to handle it, you'll never really experience love, agape love. Love is the only cure for irritability, for irritability is simply self-centeredness. Isn't that amazing? And we don't really look at things in that light very often. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of truth there. And I pray that as, we've, as I've been uh, praying for this morning, that God would help us to understand. Now, some of you are saying, well, what about righteous anger, right? You know, when it, when it has to do with, you know, something godly, right? Well, yes, when sin is involved, Anything that's against God's word, anger is an appropriate feeling inside. Well, you say, well, how do you deal with that? How does that look? Well, you need to deal with it according to Scripture. But I would say it is not an excuse to fly off the handle, to lose respect, or those types of things. Even Jesus, when he was angry, he cleared the temple. Uh, he did that out of righteous anger, and he did that for a reason, and God helped him through that as an example for us. The third thing is this, love keeps no record of wrongs. So we've, we've looked at love is uh, not, it, it's not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. And then now love keeps no record of wrongs. And let me just say, this is beautiful. This is an incredible picture. It's an accounting term here in the Greek. It's a mathematical calculation. Uh, and it really means to keep a ledger. So it, you could read it like this. Love will not keep a ledger of wrong or of evil. You say, well, why is that? Why can we read it that way? Or why does that have insight for us? Because 
why, do you, why would you write something down in a ledger, right? So you don't forget it, right? But Paul is saying, love never keeps books on evil things done or said. How many know people, and if you're one of them, you can just acknowledge it, that say, oh, I remember back in January 1970 when you said this or you did this. Or five years ago, you did this, and I'll never forget it. Or you said this last week or an hour ago, I'll remember forever. How many have heard that? Or maybe you've said something similar to that. See, love, in its truest sense, will forgive and then move on. Now, I want to stop here for a moment because if this is not blind, okay, I'm just going to forgive and forget, right? Like if you've been hit or hurt or abused in those types of circumstances, yes, there's a responsibility to forgive. And we've talked about that at times, and uh, this is not the time to address that. Yes, you forgive in those circumstances, but you don't forget. You don't uh, welcome someone back into your life to, to a, a not, you know, have the same sort of abuse happen. But in the truest sense, love, agape love, it forgives and it keeps no record of wrong pretty interesting. Ultimately, only God can do this perfectly. How many of us can acknowledge that, right? That's what God can do. And I want to show you a couple verses in Scripture. Turn with me first to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 8. This is beautiful. I love this. Uh, As I got to this section and was studying in, in particular in this, I was just so thankful for the truth of God's Word. Look what it says. It says, blessed is the man or woman whose sin the Lord will never count against him. It's kind of like the song we were singing this morning. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. We see something similar in Psalm 32. It says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. How many are thankful that that is a reality? Then we see it in 1 Corinthians 13, that love, and God is love. God keeps no record of wrong. And we see that again in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Look what it says. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Praise God. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Then listen to what it says here. Not counting man's sin or men's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. There in that verse is, again, that accounting term, that it's not counted against us. God does not count our sins against us if we have Jesus inside of us. God does not keep a record of wrong of a believer's sin. Do you believe that? God does not say to me, okay, Ben, we'll talk about that later after I've asked for forgiveness. He forgives, and he forgives perfectly. God will never say, remember this or remember that. No, the Bible says he takes our sin, what? 
as far as the east is from the west. And he's the only one that can really do that. And he takes that, and he never holds it against us. But uh, church, I want you to know that that reality is not true for an unbeliever. Revelation 20, verse 11, talks about a day of judgment. In, in 1 Corinthians, we've talked about sitting on the Bema seat, the, the judgment seat. If you don't know Jesus, you will give an account for every single thing you've done, everything you've said. But God does not treat a believer this way. God's love refuses to make memories out of evil. I'm here thankful for that. It's so powerful. Now the Corinthians, they, in, that, in their situation there, chapter 5 is probably the, the best example there where they're actually rejoicing over evil. They're doing things, they're committing fornication, incest, and they were, uh, they were uh, like proud of it, they were boasting over that. But love, one commentator said, love never makes memories out of evil. Love fast forgets and sees past the person's sin to their potential, the fact that God loves them. Love hesitates to believe any rumor. Love always forgives. Love never keeps an account of wrong. It never gets irritated. As we saw, it never is resentful. That is what love is. This commentator says, do you love like that? I want to ask you, do you love in that manner? That's what, how Jesus loved, and that's how he wants us to love one another. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Church, can I be honest with you? Some people are killing themselves over this one. They're hanging on to past hurts, past shame. They can't forgive others. They can't forgive themselves for what they've done. They can't forgive, and what happens? They hold on to the evil. They hold on to the memory, and what happens is they become deeply wounded. We all know people like this. And my challenge to you, challenge to myself when I get in these situations, is to share it, to share it with somebody. Don't live on your own, in your own mind, in your own way in the darkness. Bring it out to the light. Don't hold on to it, because when you hold on to it, what it's like is you're creating a web that becomes a cocoon, that becomes a wall, a prison, and ultimately, it'll kill you. It'll drive you. It'll, it'll uh, cause sickness in your life. It closes you in with hurt, and none of us, that, that's not God's best for any of us. There's a liberating statement that uh, the, the movie Frozen kind of has coined, and uh, I'm not going to sing the song for you, but <laughs> let it go, right? And there's a lot of truth in that. Let it go. Give it up. Find a good Christian counselor to share with. Find an accountability person that you can walk with and to explore because freedom is absolutely possible with the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing too difficult for Jesus. He wants to walk with you, and he, he puts these things in his word so that we can put our minds around that and then to walk those things out. God, your love is greater than any hurt. Amen? And you can heal me, Lord, 
from the inside out. And it may be a, a, a journey. It may take some time. But I want you to know, church, that God's love is deeper, it's higher, it's wider than anything that you've faced, anything that you've said, anything you've done, anything uh, that someone has done to you. It was awesome. Yesterday, uh, we had the privilege of uh, doing some doing a membership class just right up the road at Grand Traverse Pie Company. And some of you were there, and uh, it was great. We had a great time, and there's a lot of ministry going on there. And as we were sharing different testimonies, um, one of the ladies there, and I, I've asked her for permission to share, um, she talked about growing up that she hated men, and she didn't trust pastors. Her dad was a pastor, and uh, it was a, a really a cult, as she kind of described it. And it caused a lot of anger inside of her. Remember, we were, we were talking about this. And, uh, and what, as she shared, she shared a story how a spirit-filled believer, uh, a realtor, as she was moving into town, met with her and was happy and full of joy, full of love, and it kind of drove her crazy. And uh, she shared that, in that relationship, God started to change some things in her life, and God, over the past season, has helped her receive freedom from those hurt, from that pain, from that anger, and she said, I'm a different person. And we celebrated together, and it was like, wow, isn't that exciting what God can do? In church, I want you to know this morning that there's nothing, there's nothing that can hold you back. There's freedom. Your life can be changed. It's the power of God's love at work in your life. God wants to do it. He is jealous for you. And so we want to take these things and we want to evaluate and we want to say, okay, I want to put myself to the test. Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I long-suffering? Am I all these things that we're looking at? Am I selfless? Or am I full of anger? Have I kept records of wrong? Because if we are falling short in any of these areas, God wants us to address those things and to really experience what love is. This morning, church, we want to take some time. As we finish, uh, really, that's all I want to share uh, just those three, they kind of complement each other, and then we'll go on. And I know some of you are thinking, man, we're never going to get out of 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> but that's okay, because this is the most important thing. And I feel like the Lord wants to get a hold of our hearts. And so this morning, you can respond to any of these descriptions, of course, that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, does not boast, is not proud not rude we've talked about those things but i don't know there's something different at least for me and maybe it's just me but i don't think so when it says love is not self-seeking not inward focused that it's all about me ego driven it's not eros it's agape and when it says love is not easily angered is it possible that there are some here that have let anger be the go-to response when irritated? And it's easily is, uh, an exagger is, uh, is d depicts your response. He's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrong. 
My guess is there are people here that are holding on to things and it's bondage. And God, he wants to capture our hearts this morning. What does God want? He wants us to surrender to his will. He wants us to surrender to his idea of love, to experience his love, and then to be able to give that love. So I'm going to ask kind of one of two things. If you're here this morning and you need to experience God's love in a fuller fashion, a fuller understanding, I want you uh, to respond in just a moment. Um, And I'm going to ask that you would come forward and uh, to spend some time just saying, God, I need your love. I need more love. And in any of these areas. But there's a second thing. We are called to love. We are called to be Christ's ambassadors. That Christ in us, right? They will know we are Christians by our love. And if you need help in this area, saying I need to give more love as well, I'm going to ask that you would respond as well. I'm going to ask everyone to, to stand at this point. And I know that there's some things happening in some of our hearts this morning. Saying, you know what? I'm never going up for, forward to acknowledge that. And the reality is, no one here cares. <laughs> right? We, we care for each other. But it doesn't matter if you're dealing with the most difficult circumstances in your life or you've had an argument on the way to church this morning and you're saying, man, I really blew it. I need more love. Okay? It doesn't matter at what level. No one's going to be judging you. This morning, if you need to surrender to what God has called you to do, I want you to respond. And we're just going to take some moment. I'm going to ask that no one would move other than moving forward. No one leave. But this morning, could we say to God, God, I surrender. I surrender to you. And let the Holy Spirit do a mighty, mighty work inside of you. Move as the Lord would lead you to do that. Come and find a place. And we want to just pray with you and ask the Lord, to just minister this morning. Again, there's no shame. There's no shame. God wants to meet you this morning. Yeah, who else is going to join my friend Rich? Come on. This is real. There are people here that need the love of the Lord. God, I pray that you would minister to them. Jesus, the here God, Pray, Lord, for walls to be broken down. Lord, that we would surrender to you. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, God. Thank you, Jesus. There's no fear in love either. God, that you would minister at this moment. Holy Spirit. God, we give up. We say, Lord, have your way. Have your way. Have your way. Help me, Lord. Help me, God. Help me, Lord. Hallelujah, God. Thank you, God. God, have your way, God. Lord Jesus, I pray. God, for your will, your power to be at work, God. Come on, I know there's others that are struggling that need more of God's love or need to exhibit more of God's love. 
Oh, God, I pray. Speak to us, God. Oh, Jesus, I pray. God, have your way. Lord, do a mighty, mighty work, God, in this place, God. God, do what only you can do, Lord. Restore brokenness, God. Take the hurt, take the pain, God. Do what only you can do, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, as we surrender to you, Lord, God, move in this place, God. Jesus. God, if I'm dealing with self and it's all about me, God, Lord, help me, Lord, to surrender to your will, to your desires, God. Lord, forgive me for thinking it's about me. Help me to love better, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Praise you, God. Praise you, Jesus. Lord, move in this place, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, have your way, God. Have your way, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, as we take that step, God, it's the hardest step to step out to acknowledge. But God, you meet us right where we are. God, meet us this morning. Meet us this morning. Hallelujah, Lord. Jesus' name. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus, breathe within. Have your way. Praise you, God. Praise you, Jesus. Like a mother. Praise you, God. Within my soul. Have your way. Have your way. Hallelujah. Now this is what I'm going to ask for those that are still out in your seats. I want you to find someone that's up here. I want the ladies to pray with the ladies, the men pray with the men, students pray with students. And let's just come alongside someone that's here. They need us to love them well. And you say, ah, I don't feel like getting out of my seat. I'm just going to encourage you. Let's make sure no one here is left by themselves. Let's move and let's let the body of Christ minister this morning the love of God that is available to each and every one of us. I'm going to ask ladies, guys, come. Let's sit with some of these that are sitting. Stand with some of these that are standing. If you feel like you're uh, inadequate, get over it. All of us are inadequate. Let's come and let's bear someone's burdens with them. Let's just put your arm around them. Pray for them. Let them know that you're here, that they're not alone. God, I pray. Lord, we need, we need some men up here, a couple guys. Hallelujah. Thank you. Yes. Oh, God. Jesus, I pray, God. A couple ladies up here still need... Come on up. We got a couple ladies, a young lady here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, God. Move in a mighty way. Hallelujah. Praise your name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, God, move in this place. Let your love flow, God. God, minister, God. Lord, do what only you can do, God. 
Do what only you can do, Lord. God, your desire is for us to live free, God. God, we, for, we choose to forgive. We choose to let go. We choose, God, to release your power in our lives. God, I pray that we would walk in your grace, God. Walk in your peace, God. Lord, move in this place, God. God, do a deep healing, God, this morning in hearts. Those that have been angry, those that have resorted to yelling or shouting or to to being out of control, throwing things, hitting walls, God, I pray that you would just put your arms of love around us, that you would do a deep, deep healing, God, this morning. Oh, God, God, we cry out to you, Lord. Move in this place, God. God, today is not an accident, God. This is a new day, a new time, God, to walk in your grace, to walk in your peace, to walk in your love. Oh, God, I pray, have your way, oh, God. Praise your name. God, have your way, have your way. Lord, we're not alone. God, we're not alone. You're there. The body is here to love and to care. God, I pray for your power to be at work, God. To be at work, God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We rejoice, God, in your power, God, in your presence, God. Lord, let the journey begin today, God, of healing and hope, God. Let there be a glimmer of light, God. Oh, Lord, I pray that families would be restored. Children, God, would, be, would come back. That there would be a, just a healing balm. Oh, God, have your way. Oh, praise you, God, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Your way, Lord, have your way in me like a mighty storm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, breathe within. Lord, have your way, have your way in me. The mighty storm stir within my soul. Your way, Lord, your way in me. Like a flood in me, oh God, move, Lord, this morning, your way.
praise your name. Praise your name. With everyone just nice and reverent, just before the Lord, um, I want to share with you something that a, a counselor friend of mine shared with me recently in regards to healing and the hope in, in uh, difficult times. Um, uh, in fact, uh, it was my friend Matt Biller. Uh, he was sharing, we were writing, and we were talking about life and about just uh, some hopelessness and, uh, and uh, just, you know, some uh, just acknowledging that sometimes life is difficult and sometimes it's, it seems easier just to throw in the towel and just to be done and just to walk away or whatever. And, uh, and I just really feel impressed to share what he shared with me. And, and Matt, I know that it's, it's okay. Uh, he said, if there's a situation where there's two people that there's been some hurt and some pain, that if there is hope, even on one side of the equation, even if just one person can hope that the chances of reconciliation, the chances of forgiveness and really health and wholeness uh, are accelerated. And so this morning, where do we find our hope? We, found it, we find it in God's Word, in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit residing in us. And I just want to challenge you this morning, if you are feeling hopeless, if you're feeling like you're all alone, that we are here, the body of Christ, number one, but then also uh, God's word is there. It'll never fail you. And uh, we can stand on that. And that there's incredible power in the presence of God. And so I want you to stand this morning. And I just want you to acknowledge, and I want everyone here to acknowledge in your own way. Say, God, there's hope for me. There's hope for me. And just, I want you to say that right where you are. There is hope for me. Just declare it, kind of like an affirmation. There is hope for me. There is hope for me. Come on, just say it. Say it over. There is hope for me. Just under your breath or even out loud, there is hope for my circumstances for my situation. There is hope for my family. There is hope for my marriage. There's hope for my relationships at work. There's hope for my, uh, my existence at school. There is hope in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that as we leave here today, God, that there would be a sense of hope rising in our hearts and in our lives. God, that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us for your glory, for your name's sake. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. You can stay and continue to pray. If you need to go, go in the grace of God. We love you. God, thank you for being here. And thank you that the body of God, Christ working together this morning. God bless you as you go.